Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And the show is for anyone that has a super strong passion for making people healthier in this world. And I'm really enthused and excited to have on the show today, Dr. Mahul Sheth. Uh, Dr. Sheth is a physician executive at Cerner Corporation. Uh, he's done some really great things, has some really interesting perspectives on population health, social determinants of health, but most importantly, I don't want to steal his thunder. Dr. Sheth, welcome to the show. Hey, Anthony. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, thank you for peeling off time, I'm sure, in a, in a busy week for you as it is for, uh, for many but I, I think most importantly, um, as you know, origin stories are really important where people started. Uh, but, but take us back or teleport us back. Uh, tell us a little bit what led you to become the person you are today. So I'd love to hear about your background and how you got started and kind of the why behind what you're, what you're doing. Yeah, great. No, uh, so, you know, I kind of grew up in a small town or I did grow up in a small town in southern Illinois. It was about... 14,000 people. My father was a physician there. And so through him, I, I had my first experiences with healthcare. He, uh, he actually worked in that small town. That was his first job and his only job. He worked there for just shy of 40 years. And so really got to understand what small town rural medicine is all about for, through him. Uh, subsequent to that, I, I went my, to undergrad in St. Louis, did my medical school and residency in Chicago and my fellowship in, in Wisconsin and worked also out in California. And through that, you know, not only during training, doing rotations at different places, but I got to touch a lot of different environments of care. So not just the rural health that I had the experience with through my father, but also personally worked in rural areas as well as uh, urban areas. I did my uh, general pediatric clinic was in an urban underserved clinic. I worked in rural Wisconsin. I worked in um, a, a very uh, high-end north suburb in Chicago. So I saw a lot of different environments of care. And what really struck me was, why is there such a variation in care? You know, if you go to a certain hospital in a, in a, a very wealthy, affluent area, the care that you receive, the resources that you have can be quite different than if you go to a a county-funded hospital, a county-funded clinic. Mm -hmm. And so that's always struck me, and I've always been interested in understanding why and if there's things that we can do to address that. I love it. I love it. Now, it's it's great to hear about your background, your focus, the very, the the different areas that you've uh, focused on, and just, you know, your passion for your work and where it's led you to. And uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about um, what you're focused on today, what you're focused on now, or, or said another way, I'd love to hear about what has your captivation most in health uh, today. Yeah, so as, I, as I've been thinking about this variation in care or the standard of care that you receive in, in different areas, uh, one thing that's popped up over the last few years is that, you know, our health system has values everything in dollars. And so that for me is really the core problem is that when you start with evaluation in dollars uh, rather than some other metric, it always aligns incorrectly with what your outcomes are trying to be. So for example, you know, the, the EPA valued a human life at $7.4 million back in 2006. Mm -hmm. That metric can compare to any other thing that's related to dollars. So for example, a Gulfstream G450 costs about $40 million. 
that's it. That's not an appropriate comparison. Even though you have dollar values for both, you really shouldn't be comparing the two.、Mm-hmm. And so, because of that, we have a health system that's that's enumerated in in U.S. dollars. So, for example,、um, when you look at a physician schedule, we don't start with the patient in mind. We start with well the reimbursement, and so the structure of physician visits and clinics are based on reimbursement、uh, criteria. So. Professional billing is slotted out in time-based. You can do it time-based, and so that's how the schedule is built up.、Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with publicly traded companies. You have、uh, pharma companies, insurance companies, and so they're you know they have a profit motive, and so they're valuing things in dollars and trying to determine how they can maximize dollars rather than maximize health in some cases.、Um, so that's really the problem that I think is core to. Why we have a disconnect between the way healthcare is delivered, and I think the ideal way we will all want healthcare to be delivered. Hmm. Hmm. I love it. I love it. And tell me a little bit more of what you're thinking. So you know, maybe you know, it, it, looking at the economics, what's in place, and you know, kind of these these reference points that you're mentioning. What are what are some of the ways that that Uh, or let's just say, what are some of the opportunities that you see that are in front of us right now? You know, very interesting week going on in the world, and not to not to date our podcast here. Someone's listening to us in 2022, but、um, <laughs> you know, you had on Monday, right? The interoperability stuff that just got passed.、Um, you know, there's a lot of that's supposed to help a lot with social determinants of health. There's there's obviously coronavirus going on. You know, that, everything there this week.、Um, But、what are some ways of thinking, or some opportunities in front of us that can alleviate some of、um, some of this pressure and you know create a better model? Yeah. So for me, we really need to find a way to value healthcare in terms of health、mm-hmm. rather than in terms of dollars. So let's imagine a world where, and, and just walk with me a little bit, and then you know we can、sure. talk about the technology behind it because. I strongly believe that the technology should follow the solution rather than the other way around. So let's imagine a world in which you have tokens. You know,、mm-hmm. just for argument's sake, let's call them health tokens. And for everything that you do、uh, that supports health, you receive a t- health token. So, for example, I'm a pediatrician. If you go in and get、uh, your child vaccinated, you get a certain number of health tokens. If you do preventative care for adults, like mammograms and colonoscopies, you receive a certain number of health tokens for each of those events.、Mm. So the value of those health tokens is also referenced in within healthcare. So, for example, if you want to use those health tokens, you can use them for things like gym memberships,、mm. massage therapy, acupuncture. If you're somebody who's an athlete,、um, you know I've recently started running marathons. You know I'd love、mm-hmm. to get some physical therapy for some things that. You know some sores and and sore muscles and things like that. So you can use these health tokens within the context of health. So you've now promoted health. You can also use these health tokens like the airlines do with their mileage and their status. So you can develop status within certain number of health tokens that you accumulate. So now, if you do get a gym membership and you're let's say a, a platinum healthy person, the gym membership can turn around and promote that. And say, hey, look, you know, we have a million,、uh, or we have eighty percent of our uh, our uh, members are platinum members、uh, within this health、uh, valued space. 
And so what you have is value created that's based on health, but then provides uh, value to both the individual, but as well as all the people that are around them. And if you extrapolate this to its uh, logical end, you end up with an ecosystem, an environment in which health is promoted and you, you, the more people earn tokens and the more people use tokens, the more they're valued and then the more the environment values those tokens. So you've got uh, you know, a, a city, a town, mm. uh, a country that's then focused on maximizing those, those health tokens and the health mm. activities around it. I love it. I love it. And and so, how would how would the economics work behind the token? So, so you're saying, so what would what would back it? And I'm assuming, like, obviously, the you know blockchain technology would power it. But I just love, maybe unpack that a little bit more. Like, how how would it work? How could it work? Should it work? And are there any parties working on things like this? You know, yeah. um, who needs to be involved? So, sorry to throw 17 questions at you at one, but just love to lo- love to hear more. You know. Yeah, and so you you got it exactly on the head. I mean, blockchain would be the underlying technology for this, and for for a variety of reasons, blockchain itself, through you know just the fact that it's a ledger, would be able to track all of the tokens and and be able to establish who has how many tokens and who's redeemed it for what. Um, but then also through smart contracts that you can build on top of. Uh, blockchain, it would actually be the the source of trust. So, for example, in the way that this would be bootstrapped, you know, you can look at it different ways. It depends on how who, which entities get really excited about this and believe that in this and put resources behind this. But one scenario could be that insurance companies look at this as value based. You know, insurance companies are also doing a lot of initiatives to reduce the overall cost by increasing the preventative care of patients. So asthma patients are, you know, go out going out and proactively reaching out to them. Instead, if they turn around, they say, hey, here's a health token. If you, you know, do your annual visit for your asthma check and get a asthma action plan and all those other things that we know are verified to help uh, patients uh, be healthier uh, preventatively rather than um, on the back end. Then, they were, then, then the insurance companies could have actually establish the health tokens, pass them out to their members, mm. and then set up re, you know, the, the redemption of them through associations with big health, uh, with gyms, for example, that mm-hmm. are national. And so then they could develop a, a, a discount for their members and the health tokens would be what's turned in to get that discount to, through the gym membership. Wow. Wow. So if so, if we had the insurance companies bootstrap this, that's how it would work. If we had multiple entities, you know, so then the the next piece of blockchain is that it's uh, you know it's distributed, and it's uh, we would have it eventually as a public blockchain. So now, if you have governments, insurances, uh, employers, big employers that want to get in on this, you could then have it as a public blockchain. Each of those could be running nodes that are generating the tokens as well as uh, keeping the ledgers updated and, and generating the hashing power to keep this going. So now you've got the governance around this. So if you mm-hmm. want to make a change in how much, how many tokens are handed out for mammograms. So initially you would have a fixed value so that there's trust. So if I as a patient, uh, or really my wife is a patient in this case, got a mammogram, she would know that she's getting a fixed amount initially to build the trust. But over time, you would you would actually use the data to have machine learning algorithms determine what is the actual value of a mammogram at a certain age in a certain population. You know, using all those 
different coefficients that humans, you know, as humans and, and as physicians, we can hold five to six different coefficients in our head to determine, you know, what's the right action at this point. So if we're looking mm-hmm. at mammograms, we could think about, well, do they have a family history? You know, do they have um, certain risk factors and things like that? Whereas machine learning can use many, many more coefficients. So anyway, mm-hmm. we could use machine learning using the data that we've generated through uh, these different entities, both billing mm-hmm. data as well as clinical data. And then the machine learning could actually hand out tokens uh, based on the actual value of, of the preventative care that they're doing. Yeah. Historical and current data as well as patient individual patient profiles. I love it. I love it. And, and Dr. Sheth, on, on the the piece of like Medicare, Medicaid, and now you have, you know, these, you know, the ICD codes, the billing, the so, um, there's like these 10 new ICD codes out for social determinants of health. There's uh, Medicare Advantage, right? Medi- Medicaid. Um, how would those things factor? Um, so now the, the big thing is like, you know, why not have, you know, food covered by insurance or Medicare, Medicaid, you know, for certain procedures, why not have shelter, housing? You know, all these things are now on the table, you know, kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you conceptually address the needs of people and have the right economics in place, any, any thoughts on, on, on this changing world that's happening and um, in relation to what you're mentioning here, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So social determinants of health is huge. I mean, as you start expanding this out further and further and you start getting public health and government involved, you know, social Mm -hmm. determinants of health are a huge factor. I mean, you know this more than anyone else, Mm -hmm. factors in predicting outcomes for different interventions. And so this also could be taken into factor when you're handing out health tokens. So individuals, uh, two individuals who might be doing the same action, preventative action, um, you know, mammogram, depending on their various social elements, they might be uh, returned different uh, number of health tokens. But not only that, I think there is a, a concern about privacy around, you know, having all this information commingled, you know, having the information from social determinants of health, socioeconomic status, geographical location, things like that commingled with health information and then also available to uh, insurance companies. And so what Mm. blockchain would also do is it would allow uh, individuals to have total control over their data and who they share it with and in what context they share it with. So, you know, blockchain allows you to eliminate that honeypot of information that we've seen over the last three to five years where, you know, health systems get attacked and because they have this patient uh patient information they're they're having to deal with okay how do we get that information unlocked so having having it on blockchain having individuals in total control of that data not mm. having a honeypot that's that's uh, a a a um a a target for right hackers would be a great way to be able to have individuals trust that their extensive databases with lots of different information don't get used for ill uh, for the wrong purposes i love it i love it and um along those lines so this is you know super powerful concepts as well and i mean it goes you know very hand in well too with interoperability um um that opens up a big bottleneck right and a lot of a lot of companies are in agreement with their patients the consumerism that can come out of that sets a grid foundation for, you know, kind of like a longitudinal blockchain based record that 
you know, can be put in the person's hands so they're not leaving scenes of their story all over, you know, different payers and providers, right? They can kind of own their full story, right? And keep the pages turning on their own life, right? And, and not lose anything. Um, Dr. Chef, um, where are we going in the future? I'd love to hear a little bit about some of these concepts we're talking about, or maybe not, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's really an interesting world in health. Um, and you probably have a different answer this week than you did probably three weeks ago. <laughs> but um, tell me about the future of health according to Dr. Chef. So uh, I wanted to kind of end off here on this episode with a little big question like that. You know, tell me about the future of health. Yeah, no, you know, I love what we're doing in the regulatory space where we're aligning the values and, and the outcomes. So we're moving away from uh, pay, pay for services and moving to pay for value. Mm -hmm. I love that we're aligning those outcomes and the patient outcomes with, with payment models. I see a lot of great systems, a lot of big healthcare systems attacking that, along with uh, individual healthcare systems generating their own insurance products to further align the incentives and the payments. And so I think that's the, the light at the end of the tunnel, if, if I could say that in, in that manner where, you know, we've, we've got a broken healthcare system, we've got tons of waste, but there's a huge opportunity with alignment of that. From the blockchain perspective, you know, um, you, you know, as well as I do, and I'm sure everybody that's listening to this podcast is going to be a little skeptical because there's been a lot of misinformation around, you know, Bitcoin and blockchain. Mm -hmm. um, I would love for those misconceptions to get cleared up. I'd love for people to dig in really deep and think about blockchain objectively and not get um, sidelined by the, 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 the news and the media and really think about it. Because as I've read deep, deeper and deeper into blockchain, I think it really is uh, a potential solution to, to a lot of the issues that we're facing today with the way our healthcare system is set up. And so maybe it'll take three to five years, but it might be sooner if we start getting folks to really look at blockchain in a more serious way. Nice, nice. Dr. Chef, this is this is uh, super powerful and, and great and great perspective. And um, it's this type of perspective and your type of thinking that obviously can usher us in to, to pull all of the, the right solutions in place, right? To, uh, to, to, to focus on, on these opportunities that are in front of us that, you know, it does feel like we're in the, we're in the process of being able to um, make sure that that value and, and looking at currency and looking at the way we compensate and, and the incentives in the market for healthcare are, are all aligned. So I appreciate you laying out those economic factors and, you know, really fascinating innovations that can really occur. Uh, Dr. Chef, um, it's a busy world and you probably have a, a very busy life as well. I always ask our guests sometimes, like, what's something you do on a weekly, monthly or daily basis or a philosophy in health that you practice personally that keeps your own, your own engine going and you feeling well and healthy? Yeah, that's a good question. So from a religious perspective, I'm Hindu. And from a philosophical perspective, I, I'm, I'm a Stoic. And so mm -hmm. things that align with both of those are, are three things in particular that I do every day. One is journaling. I like to journal every day just to make sure, you know, what I'm thinking about, how I'm thinking about it. And mm. that's all consistent with what I'm seeing. I meditate on a daily basis. And then I do something called Connect to the Universe, which um, an author called Ryan Holiday, who is mm. a great author. Oh, yeah. He, uh, he talks about connecting to the universe, this idea of thinking about the individual human and you in context of history and in context of the universe. And so I try to do that every day. So those are three things I, I do to try to stay grounded and focused on my daily mm. activities. 
I love it. I love it. And uh, no, that's great. I love Ryan Holiday and, and everything he puts out. And you're inspiring me to go go back and look or adopt uh, that last practice um, or revisit, I should say. Um, Dr. Sheth, uh, promise, last question, very last question for you. Our listeners, sometimes they like to reach out, say hi, give a kudos and amen, and, or just, you know, just jam out with you on some of the concepts that, that, that our guests talk about and the things that you're doing. If our listeners would like to get a hold of you or say hi, what would be a great way to do so? So LinkedIn is probably the best way. Uh, Mayhul Chef is is the full name, M-E-H-U-L-S-H-E-T-H. And then my Twitter is probably the second best way, which is at M-K-Chef, S-H-E-T-H. Great, great. Well, Dr. Chef, uh, this was super powerful to have you on. I really appreciated hearing about your story what you're focused on, the concepts and the groundbreaking uh, technologies, and but most importantly, the philosophy and concept that you know can support some of these pieces in place to usher in a really fantastic future that you laid out in health. So thank you so much for coming on the show, telling us your story, uh, where we're going, you know, with health, and uh, just for being on our show and just for peeling off time to do this with me. This was great. No, no problem. Thanks for giving me a forum to talk about something really, really exciting for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This was, this was powerful. Thanks. Thanks.